Um, I wanted to clear up one other thing. When Sherry went to the doctor, and I, I just want you to understand how I feel, and they had told her that they wouldn't operate on her heart because she had, I think it was five or six blockages, and because of her age, they weren't going to uh, operate on her heart. And so Sherry and I went and sat down in the, our car, and I said, Sherry, um, you've heard the doctor's prognosis. A prognosis is the path that a doctor says a disease may take. And I said, but then you also know the promises of God and the promises, a promise is uh, a, uh, a promise is a statement of something that is going to happen. And I said, I can't have faith for you. I will support you and I, I will be here. But what do you want to do? And she said, uh, I'm not going to accept the prognosis. I'm going to accept healing from the Lord. And so we joined hands and prayed. And people would say, well, if you said you uh, agreed with healing, the cherries passed away. But I'll tell you how I believe. Sherry's healed forever. Amen. That's the way I feel. Amen. She'll never have another sick day in her life. She'll never have another pain. And if you knew my wife, she loved jewelry. She loved bling. And she loved plants. I cannot tell you how many times over 51 years that she's had me stop. Honey, can I get a cutting of that plant? And I can see her in heaven right now. If calling an angel over and saying, can I get a cutting of that? You know, but understand that we believe that she's totally, totally healed. Mm -hmm. Our family believes that way. She'll never know another sick day in her life. Now, I will be honest with you. I told the Lord, God, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have. But I went on to tell him this. But I know you. And over the years, Lord, when you have prompted me to quit doing something or to start doing something, and I've looked at it and said, I can't see how that's uh, in any way hurting me. But I know you, God, and you see the future and I don't. And I would do it. You were always faithful and I figured out that your way was best. So I don't understand this. I don't know whether the devil snuck in. I don't know whether Sherry got tired. I wouldn't have done it this way, but I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And so understand that, um, you know, we believe she's been healed forever. And we go from there. And again, thank you for your love. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now this is probably one of the most unusual times that I have seen, I've ever seen in my 78 years of living. It really is. We are beset by violence on every hand. Uh, there are those who would dismiss or, or belittle or denigrate. And in some cases, there are those who would advocate doing away with anyone that opposes uh, their way of life, their view. Uh, there are a myriad of diseases in the world today. Uh, according to a survey at the University of Michigan Medical Center, there is roughly 10,000 diseases in the world today afflicting people. Add to that the recent coronavirus and all of its variants. And it seems that we no sooner have a new disease 
come up and we find a vaccine or a cure and that this disease has a variant or a mutation that is um, that is uh, uh, resistant to the vaccine and we're right back where we started from and it's so easy to understand why there's so much violence in the world today and the reason one of the major reasons for that is is because of fear fear produces in people anger and frustration because people don't know what to do they're frustrated and they're angry and that angry that anger explodes into rage and rage is anger uh, manifested outward that's what rage is it's you know a guy gets so angry and he just runs his hand through a, um, a, a you know a wall and there are approximately a hundred and eight different types of fears in the world today there is a fear of accidents, a fear of others, a fear of being alone, a fear of not enough money to buy the essentials, fear of being rejected, a fear of being laughed at, a fear of thought of being dumb, a fear of thought of being religious. Did you know that there's even a fear of fear? It's called a phobophobia. And I have been, it has been interesting because since Sherry's passing, I've had some fears come upon me. I really have. And fear is so uh, devastating and debilitating to our lives, debilitating to our lives. It'll bring, cause a person to be sick. It'll bring sickness upon a person. It will cause an individual to lie or to cheat. It will destroy relationships, including strong marriages that have been together for years. Fear can keep a person from finding a job. I used to, I know a young man now who's in his early 30s. He's in the army, very strapping young man, good size and, and um, uh, in good health. And yet he's so afraid to go to a job interview that he literally lives off of welfare. And don't get me wrong, if someone's in need, uh, I agree. You know, let's help them along. But let's help them help themselves, is the way I believe. But he can't, because of fear, he won't even go to a job interview. Fear can cripple or disable an individual so badly that they can't even work or even function in the fundamentals of daily life. Fear has been the subject of multiple movies, TV shows, and books. And in his 1933 inaugural address, Franklin Delano Roosevelt made that, that famous statement let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that, fear, that phrase, fear itself, is caught on. It's been the title movie, it's been the title of a movie, an anthology series, sell several television shows and episodes. It's been the, the title of a novel and a, a role-playing game. And so fear uh, has had a, a very visible role in every area of our life. Matter of fact, fear has been around as long as there has been human beings. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Bible said that God would come in the cool of the evening to visit them. And God, after they had sinned, came into the garden. 
and he called out Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam didn't answer. And when he finally did, God said, where are you? And Adam responded, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Afraid. In Exodus 34 and 30, when Moses came down from receiving the Ten Commandments, um, the people saw that his face shone with the presence of the Lord and they were afraid. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, here was the mighty army of Israel. And there was a giant from the Philistines who came out. And the Bible says that the men of the army of Israel were sore afraid. And if you look at the Hebrew of that, that actually means they were paralyzed. They couldn't move. In, um, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the disciples and Jesus were crossing over to the other side of, of the lake. And a storm came up. And the disciples were so afraid that they accused Jesus of not caring about them. They run to the back of the ship. Don't you care that we perish? Fear. I remember one time when our eldest daughter was, um, I think she was probably about 11 or 12. And we were living in a home. And from her bedroom, you could come out into the kitchen and uh, there was a refrigerator there. And one time she came out from the bedroom and all of a sudden a mouse came out from behind the refrigerator. And uh, some girls can handle rodents, but that daughter couldn't. And when she saw that mouse, she literally stood there and was so afraid she went, ah, like that. Believe it or not, the mouse, I don't know if it was the vibration or the noise, the mouse literally ran around in circles in front of her and then finally ran underneath the refrigerator. We got her calmed down. And a couple days later, we noticed an odd smell in our kitchen and we moved the refrigerator and guess what? The mouse was dead. The mouse was dead. So fear, fear is... Uh, you know, fear is in every area of our life. Uh, and it's easy to see that every area of our life presents openings for fear. Now the world, when I say the world, I mean psychiatrists, psychologists, and life coaches. And I believe many of them mean well. But they will try to teach you how to live with your fear. And hopefully as it comes back on you again and again, they will try to teach you how to negotiate that fear. But if you're here this morning and you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do I mean by that? If you've made a profession of faith, you said in your heart, I believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And if you say, I, I confess Jesus as my Lord and I ask forgiveness for my sins, you're saved. The Bible tells us that. That's all it takes. Um, you, the Bible tells us that it's not God's will for you to have fear and you don't have to. And God's word, God's word shows us that we do not have to be held captive by fear. As a matter of fact, it shows us how to dispel it. And because of the destructive and oftentimes permanent effects on the lives of people, I'm going to spend this week and next week 
sharing with you how to deal and face your fears and how to get rid of them. Now, as a male species of the human race, we sometimes are better at masking those fears than many times women are. That does not mean women are, 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 are weaker than men, you know what it means? It just means that we're stuck up in pride and we don't want to let anybody know. I mean, you know, we're going to snuff it out. But uh, in 2 Timothy 1, chapter 1, verse 7, I want to read it to you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And if you have a pencil, um, you can underline power, love, and of a sound mind. And so the first thing I want you to notice about fear this morning is notice that scripture. God has not given us a spirit. Fear is a spirit. And it cannot be uh, handled by natural means. Uh, this is why the methods of non-Christian psychiatrists, psychologists, and life, life coaches um, doesn't work. It may help you to live with your fears. It may send them away for a while, but it'll come back. Because fear is a spirit. And it can't be handled by natural means. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, in verse 12, and I'll get to that in a minute, in verse 11, or in verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Now I want you to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Okay, so he's talking about God as a spirit, being strong in the spirit realm. And then he goes on and says, and then I want you to take on the whole armor of God. Well, the whole armor of God is not something uh, in the natural realm. In other words, when you get born again, God doesn't come down and put this whole armor and say, okay, you're born again here, you can put this armor on you. No, 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 no. It's not that at all. And then in verse 12, Paul says this. This, this meaning this life that we live, as believers, is not a wrestling match against a human opponent. We are wrestling with rulers, authorities, the powers who govern this world of darkness, and spiritual forces that control evil in the heavenly world. So understand the first thing this morning is fear is a spirit. But if you're a child of God... You don't have to get afraid. You don't have to let it have entrance into your life. And again, the world, the psychiatrists and psychologists and life coaches, they will, their methods will only frustrate you. Because why? Because they can't, they're dealing with it in a natural realm. When I have people who come to me and, and, and want um, uh, counseling or want to talk to me about issues, one of the first things I say to them after listening to them a little bit is I say to them, so how do you want to handle this? Do you want to handle this? I can give you what the world, a life coach and a psychiatrist or psychologist will tell you, but I can tell you this much, what you're dealing with will not permanently go away. Or I can tell you what the Bible says, and in that case, understand that um, 
you can get rid of it for good. Let me share with you something. Uh, this book, the thing that drew me the most to this book was this is, this is the user's manual on life. And when I came to know the Lord, I was very, very um, skeptical and critical. But the more I read this book and I saw God's love for mankind and his wisdom, the more impressed I was. And at that time in my life, things were not going bad. They weren't. And so uh, understand that. And so the first thing is fear is a spirit. And understand something about fear. Sometimes it'll get right up in your face. Sometimes it'll come on you just like that and you know right away it's fear. You know, uh, I served in Vietnam. And actually, uh, for many, many years and every now and then, even now, when I see a helicopter and he's in the attack mode, the hair on the back of my head used to just kind of stand up. And I'd have to say, Owen, you're in Denver or you're in Billings and that, you know, you're not in Vietnam. He's not going to shoot you, you know, but fear. But there are other times when fear is very, very sneaky, very sneaky. There would be times in my life when I'm doing something and I'd go, I, why on earth am I doing that? And I would realize that it was because of fear. And understand that fear not only is a spirit, but faith and fear are two spirits. And many times they're going in the same direction, but they have different results. Now let me explain. A mom has a child, son or daughter, it doesn't matter. And let's say mom number one, or dad, it doesn't matter, um, has, they live on a, a, a street in the suburbs, and uh, cars go by, and they see their kid going out in the street. And mom number one operates in fear, and she runs out and she grabs the kid. What's the matter with you anyway? Don't you know you're gonna get run over? And out of fear, she may love the kid, but out of fear, she tries to teach that kid not to run out in the street. Now, her aim is right. She wants to teach the kid not to run in the street and get run over. But here's the, here's the problem with that. When the, what would be the word? When the bringer of that fear leaves, in other words, when that kid's alone, that mom or that dad who was in fear, that spirit goes with them. And so guess what? That spirit of fear isn't around that kid. He's going to go back out in the street again. Why? Because the spirit of fear isn't there to keep him away from it. But your second individual, second parent, who knows the word of God and in faith begins to teach and instruct their child about the street and about cars and, and teaches them not in fear, but in faith in God's word. You know what happens? When that parent leaves, that kid's going to remember that instruction. Because the Spirit of the Lord isn't, isn't, isn't um, what is the term I'm looking for? Isn't just on one person, it can be anywhere. We learned that in raising our kids, our daughters. 
we would begin to teach them in faith. And when we weren't there, we knew that they were doing what they had been taught in faith. And so understand that faith and fear are two spirits and they're often going in the, in the same direction, but they have different results. And because the spirit of fear must be dealt with on a spiritual level, or it's going to come back. So step one in dealing with fear. Don't panic. Don't panic. When you panic, you become part of the problem, not the solution. Let me say that again. When you panic, you become part of the problem, not the solution. Listen, the devil, uh, remember, uh, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. When you panic, you lose your ability to think and function. You do. See, uh, let me tell you a true story. Many years ago, my wife and I cared for our, our, our grandson. He was special needs. And um, his mom had made some unwise decisions in her life. And this was the product of it. And um, so we cared for him. And one day, he just quit breathing. As my wife, he was here, and my wife was here, and he just quit breathing. And so she called 911, and my daughter used to be a first responder. And she happened to be on duty. And she got to call, and she thought, gee, I'm on my way. And she thought, gee, there's something familiar about that address. And about three-fourths of the way there, she could see the house. She said, that's my, my mom and dad's house. And when she came up and she saw Sherry, my wife, standing there, then she knew it had to be Trey, who was her son. And immediately she began to panic. And I don't want you to misinterpret this as praise for Sherry and I. This is glorifying to God. We would always teach our daughters, when you panic, you become part of the problem. And she started to panic and she said, I remembered, I heard your voice. If I panic, I become part of the problem. And she was able to walk in and do her job. They didn't revive him. And then after the other crews came, she fell apart, which was normal. But first thing is first is when you panic, you lose your ability to function properly and to think properly. You do. Remember first Timothy? 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power. And when you panic you lose your power. Understand something. Deception is at the root of all fear. In other words, fear the devil who is behind fear will try to convince you that things are worse than they are or that they're going to be worse than they are. And that's the deception. See, understand something. The devil is the father of lies. Well, what's, what is a lie? A lie is a deception of the truth. That's what it is. And so fear, deception is at the root of all fear. And in getting you to believe in that state of panic that things are worse than they are or, or things are going to get worse than they are, then you won't think right and you won't properly function. Let me give you a good example uh, from the Bible, one of my favorite stories about fear. You know the story of how the children of Israel came out of Egypt and how they wandered in the wilderness 40 years and they, they came to the river to go over into the promised land and they sent out 12 spies 
and ten came back with a bad report and only two would believe God and so uh, God said fine guess what you're not going to believe me they were afraid they said man these guys are like giants we we can't touch them. <laughs> doesn't matter that God for 40 years at the start of their journey he had destroyed the mightiest army at that time and they didn't have to lift the sword. Didn't matter that he furnished them with uh, bread and meat and he protected them from their enemies. They just said, oh, we can't do it. And God said, fine, you're not going to go in then. And so for another 40 years till another generation came up, okay, they wandered in the wilderness. And so then in Jericho, they sent in two spies. Now let me show you, uh, they were, uh, the two spies were um, about to be captured and so they hid with a woman called Rahab. Now let me show you the deception of spies. Rahab said to the two spies, listen to what she told them. She said, um, she was going to hide them on the roof and she said this, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told them, we, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shihon and Og and the two Amorites. And no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. God had already prepared the way for them but they allowed fear to keep them, that first generation allowed fear to keep them from entering into the land. When, when the fear of the Israelites were already on the people in there. See, the people, the result of their fear was they all died and, and that generation uh, couldn't go into the land. So when you don't panic, when you stop and you think about what the Word of God says about fear. And you stop and, and your position and who you are in Jesus Christ. You, well, you don't know what I've done, brother. Your salvation is not based on what you do. Your salvation is based upon the grace of God. You may not go out and sin and do anything you want. Sure, God gave you freedom of choice. But when things go bad in your life because you're out sinning, don't blame God. Blame your actions. Do you, do you, are you all here this morning? Can you yes, amen, something okay? You know, you can do anything you want to do. God's given you freedom of choice. If you want to sin, you can. But understand the devil's going to take advantage of you when you do that. And so, but when you don't panic, and when you, listen, you think about what the Word of God says, you've taken the first step in resisting the spirit of fear. Why? Because you're standing up to him not by natural means, but by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. And so you're stopping its entrance and all of its devastating affection to your life. And so step one is don't panic. Second step is this. Remember whose you are. Go back to 2 Timothy 1. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. We're not going to panic but of love. Remember whose you are. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of the Most High God. 
the God that created heaven and earth. Do you know, after 40 some years, 48 years or however many, I'm still amazed at how much God loves me. And I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but I am not perfect. I have blown it. Actually, I've blown it since I was a Christian. I have. And God still loves me. That's one of the reasons why I wouldn't let my wife go to an optometrist. She thought I was good looking and still loved me. I said, I'm not going to change your glasses. Fooey on that noise. <laughs> Remember who you are. God loves you. And when you don't panic, when you panic, you forget whose you are. And you forget how much he loves you. And, and so you begin to feel alone and deserted. But when you don't panic and you begin to remember whose you are. I am a child of the Most High God. You begin to understand how much He loves you. And how much He has promised never, never, never to leave you or forsake you. I can give you scripture after scripture. Romans uh, eight, 5 and 8. But God showed His love for us, His great love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before I ever came to know the Lord, Christ died for Owen Childers. My name was on the cross if I wanted to take it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Uh, the 23rd Psalm, or I'm sorry, 1 John 3.1. See how much the Father has loved us. His love is so great that we are called God's children. I mean, you know, he didn't have to do that. He did not have to send his you know, he could have sent Jesus to go ahead and die just for select people. No, you're not good enough. Sorry about that. But he never did. He never did. And when you remember how much he loves you. Why is it so important, Pastor, that I love you? Because 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. As a matter of fact, it says perfect love casts out fear. And it's not talking about your love for God. It's talking about God's love for you. See, when it dawns on you how much God loves you, you don't know what I did. I got news for you. His love is not based on what you do. It's not based on what you do. When it dawns on you how much he loves you, it says, there is no fear in love, perfect love. And that word perfect in the Greek means mature. When it dawns on you how much God loves you, when we panic, when we forget whose we are, then we forget his promises of protection. But when you understand how much you love him, you understand that he has promised us to be our protector, to never leave us nor forsake us. Here's some scriptures you can write down. Isaiah 41 and 10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Psalm 23, 4. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I heard one guy translate it this way. That, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is the baddest one in the valley, and he protects me. You know, and you know what I like about the 23rd Psalm? It says, and he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You know why? 
because I know they can't get to me. They're going to watch me eat of the goodness of the Lord and they can't get to me. They can't get to me. Uh, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? And the word the Lord there in the Hebrew is Yeshua. And it comes from the word meaning free or safety. And it means deliverance or freedom. And so understand, you have multiple promises from God that you may not always agree with the way he brings you out of it, the way he protects you, but you have multiple promises from God that if we will trust him, let me say that again, if we will trust him, he will protect us, he will strengthen us, he will help us, and he will not desert us. Don't panic. Remember whose you are. Remember 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And here's the sound mind. There's a second part to remembering whose you are. Remembering whose you are. When you know whose you are, then you know your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what the devil cannot do to you. Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said that we shouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Why is that important? Because in Hosea, uh, the prophet said, God speaking to him said, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. A lack, a dearth, destroyed, to fail, to perish. When you know, when you don't panic, and when you remember, wait a minute, I'm a child of the Most High God. And I can tell you right now, the devil's going to come in and say, Yeah, but look what you did two weeks ago. I understand that, but I've repented. I'm still a child of the Most High God. And I've used this example over and over and over and over and over again, and I'll continue to use it. As a child growing up, I was born in the house of Childers, my dad and mom. And I was not the perfect child. I was not the perfect child. But they did not kick me out of the family. When I made a mistake, they didn't kick me out of the family. And oh, by the way, they didn't break my arm or leg. God doesn't do that. When you know whose you are, then you know what you have and where you stand as far as the devil goes. Let me give you some quick scriptures you can use. 1 John 4, 4, the spirit who lives in you if you're a child, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. It's a matter of fact, the Bible says, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He'll bring life to your mortal body. Luke 10, 19. Listen, Jesus speaking. Listen carefully. I've given you authority. Authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall in any mean hurt you. Listen, when that police officer turns that light on and you pull over, it wasn't his power 
that pulled you over. Those lights didn't have a tractor beam that pulled you to the side. It was the authority that rested behind his uniform. As a child of God, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. And I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And that's the authority. God has the power, but he's given me the authority in line with his will to use it. And finally, the last scripture, Colossians 2, 15. God took away the power of the leaders of this world and the powers of darkness. He showed those powers to the world. The battle was won over them. In other words, you're a child of the Most High God. And Jesus Christ totally on the cross defeated the devil. I remember reading about Smith Wigglesworth, that great man of God, who one day heard a, heard a, uh, a noise in his head and he went up there. And it was the devil and some demons and he opened the door and he looked in and he said, Oh, it's you. Would you be quiet? I want to go to sleep. Turned around, shut the door and left. If you know, if you don't panic, then you keep your power. Number two, remember whose you are. Remember how much he loves you. Remember the authority that he's given you. Let's pray. Lord, there are so many openings for fear to come into our life. There's probably people here today and listening on the podcast who are beset by fears. It might be a fear of sickness, a fear of death, maybe a fear of loneliness, maybe a fear of finances, maybe the fear of a bad report, maybe needing a job. Lord, if they're not a believer, I would ask that you would move upon their heart. You've made it so simple. You have. All we've got to do is believe in our heart, Confess that Jesus, God has raised Jesus from the dead and confess that you're my Lord. Ask forgiveness. You've made it so easy. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. You see the hearts. You see the hearts. Lord, I'd ask you to abate that fear. Help them this morning as we're closing in prayer. Not from your presence, just from this service. Help them, Lord, to just say, you know what, spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, I don't receive you. Get out of my life. And help them to remember how much you love them. When the enemy would come and lie to them and say, well, look what you did. Let them victoriously say back yeah but God's love for me is not based on what I've done it's based on what Jesus did for me Lord keep us till next week keep us this week I ask in Jesus name Amen